0: Amen. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Titus, if you would. me ask you the question tonight as we start. Are you attractive? How many would consider themselves attractive? No, don't don't answer that. (laughs) I looked on the internet this week and you know what? You can take an attractive test and you can test whether you're really attractive or not. And they say that you really should because if you're attractive, then your life will be way better. Because they said that the more beautiful you are, the more success and advantage. They said pretty people, handsome people, beautiful people do way better in their jobs, get more promotions, are more accepted and liked by people. And if you're not, very, now that's scary for most of us, um, because we're not that probably in our own minds, right? But they said it's the halo effect that when you're attractive, people pay more attention to you and give you the benefit of the doubt. And that's a big deal in our culture to be attractive. All you got to do is go over to the marketplace and see all the stuff for lipstick and eyelashes and hair and face and teeth and cosmetics and, and, and the millions and millions on plastic surgery and all the advertisements on television and the magazine covers and on and on it goes. Are you attractive? I, I think a lot of people want to be. Um, they think that they are. If not, they want to be for sure. But the Bible wants us to know that there's a different kind of beauty, and it's an inner beauty, Um, and our text in Titus refers to it, and I want to talk about it a little tonight, but I want to give you our context, because missions in Crete, Titus was a quote-unquote missionary pastor left on the island of Crete, which was a very worldly, wicked place, much like our culture, much like the missions in Babylon, sermons we've been doing on Sunday, and it was a very difficult place to minister, Crete was a place where Cretans was a slang to talk about someone that was very ungodly and immoral. They just called you a Cretan. Um, if you lived on Crete, then that's what you were known for. You were more wicked, more vile than the average uh, citizen in the Roman Empire, and that's the society and culture in which Titus was ministering in. And what he tells them, and I want to just look at it, and we're going to do the big picture. Come back to it. We're going to do the whole big picture of the book. And come down to focus a few minutes on the last text. And then I'll read the text that we're going to really concentrate on. It's chapter 2 and verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Next grouping of people, bondservants, we would say slaves, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, in other words, taking stuff that doesn't belong you, to you, but showing all good faith, purpose clause, why? So that in everything, they here's our word, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The word adorn in the Greek is Cosmos. It, we get our Greek, our American word, cosmetics from it. And what Timothy, I mean, what Titus is being told by the Apostle Paul is: train your people, teach your people, help them to grow up as Christians with this idea. Live a good life so that you can be attractive for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to ask you again the real question: Are you attractive? Are people drawn to Jesus? Are they drawn to the gospel? Are they more likely to listen to what you say about the claims of Christianity and Christ because in your life they see a difference? They see a beauty. Are you gospel good-looking, we might say? Um, the text is all about that. Heinrich Hein was a 19th century German philosopher, and he said this, Show me your redeemed life, And I might be inclined to believe in your Redeemer. In other words, show me a life that looks like it's been changed, redeemed, bought back. He says, show me that first, and I might be interested in your Redeemer. Titus is a book about that very subject. I was talking with Brian Dalton, who you know, he was former addict and on the street is homeless. And we were talking in our small group. And we were talking about this kind of stuff, not only the good news that we say with our lips, but how we live the good news in our life. He says, on the street, Pastor Walker, here's how we say it. He goes, you can't be a hypocrite, because your walk and talk have to match. And if they don't, here's what they said. He said, your talk is Gucci, but your walk is Walmart. And I thought that was pretty good. And, and as Christians, let me tell you this, if that's true, that's not attractive. It's not attractive. Our our walk and our talk need to matter because people are watching. Titus is all about that. Let me show you the framework. I'll give you this. It's pertinent to our study, but it's also great for you to use if you want to study Titus in its entirety on your own. The whole thing is framed by a phrase that is only used twice at the beginning and end. I'll show it to you. Verse 2, in hope of eternal life. Circle it because it's only repeated one other time. And that's in chapter 3 and verse 7, which reads, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He didn't say eternal life. He said the hope of it. The reason he brackets, like little bookends, Titus in this way, because in between those two texts, his object is this. What does it mean for a Christian in a very worldly, ungodly society to live out the hope that they have of eternal life? So what does hope look like when you live it out every day? How do you demonstrate to people that you have eternal life, a different kind of life? Eternal life, by the way, is not even just and not even mainly, per se, quantity of life. We usually think eternal life, okay, it's going to last for millions of years, forever. and that's true, praise God, but eternal life in the Bible starts now as soon as you get it. It's not just quantity, it's quality. It's the kind of life that you live because eternal life is God's life, and he's put that life in you, and listen, if you have that life tonight, you should be attractive. That kind of life is what Cretans, can I say, need to see. It needs to be visible in their lives. So let me tell you this, in in your life, I should say. So it brackets it, hope of eternal life. What does it look like? Well, here's what the hope of eternal life looks like. It looks like a lifestyle of good works. Now, if you thought that phrase good or good works was so prevalent and dominant in 1 Peter you're going to see that although Paul wrote this and Peter wrote the other one, it's almost like they copied off each other because good and good works saturate Titus. Because remember what he's doing? Between the bookends, he's showing you how to live out your hope that you have a different kind of life. So let me point them out if you have a a pen or pencil, or I'll try to go slow. The first one is chapter 1 and verse 8. Where he says, now watch, I want you to catch this. I'm going to say this and then you can watch as we read them, go through them all. Okay, everybody in this text, elders or pastors in the church, should have goodness in their life. Then he's going to tell you that younger ladies, older ladies, young men, slaves. He's going to mention all kinds of levels of society that were in the Roman Empire, especially on the island of Crete. Same ones that were used and discussed by Peter in his epistle. What he's going to tell you is this gospel good-lookingness, this attractiveness, is not just for some. It should be characteristic of everyone. If you have the gospel, if you have eternal life, you should have a lifestyle, lifestyle of good work. And so watch all the groups that he mentions along the way. First being chapter 1, verse 8, which he says, these are... If you're a pastor in, on Crete, you have to be this. But hospitable, a lover of good. It literally is good lover. A good lover. So there's our first one. So pastors have to be good lovers. Loving good things. Living them out in their lives. Now watch chapter 2 and verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, Are slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So elders teach it. The older women teach the younger women how to be attractive. Not on the outside, but on the inside. Attractive gospel attractiveness. Chapter 2, verse 5. Teach husbands to love their husbands. Also teach them to be self controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. What's the purpose for that lifestyle? that the word of God may not be reviled. Then watch. Likewise, younger men, to be self-controlled, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. A model of good works. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. So everybody, he's got all the categories. Then he says, everybody who's been touched by God's grace, you should be zealous for good works. 3.1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. There it is again. Chapter 3, verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Verse 14. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. You see it? Over and over and over again. Here's what he says. Here's what attractive people, gospel attractive people are. They are people who live a lifestyle of good works. Good works, and he mentions depending on who you are and where you are, in your context, what those good looks might consist of. If you're a woman, it's relationship to your husband. If you're a younger woman, how you can be self-controlled. and all the t- So he, he doesn't just say, hey, live an attractive life. No, it's spelled out deliberately and labeled out for us about what that means. Now, here's the great thing. Chapter 1 in verse 16, if you look there in our Bible study here, it says a group of people, starting in verse 10, ending in verse 16 of chapter 1, are Judaizers. These are people who said... Hey, you have to believe in Jesus, but you also have to keep the law and you have to do certain things that are in the Levitical code, and they really weren't they were perverting the gospel and they were on the island of Crete. And Paul is telling Titus how to deal with them. And what the truth is of it is is they are the opposite of what Titus was to train true believers to be. Let me show you what I mean because I want you to see this text. Here's why because Christians are always in contrast in their lives that are attractive to others around them. Sometimes they are irreligious others and sometimes they are religious others. But there in our lives is to be a different difference in both levels. So it says, one sixteen, they profess to know God. And it literally is the word to say the same thing. So we would say today they have the same vocabulary but a different dictionary they would be kind of like we would say today jehovah witnesses or mormons cuz they would talk oh jesus is this and that we believe the bible and, and, and he, you know they said here's what he's saying they sound like us they talk like us and they profess to know god but here's the reality look at the verse they deny him how do they deny him by their works by their works They are detestable, disobedient, watch the phrase, unfit for every good work. Now, what have we seen all through chapters 2 and 3? Christians who truly know God do good works. But if you really don't know God, what does he say in contrast? Well, you're unfit for it. And the word is a Greek word that means disqualified after testing you've been tested that it's not real your knowledge of god and your relation isn't real and you know how we know it the way that you don't do the same kind of right good works so here's our principle listen being attractive for the sake of the gospel doing good works which is so prominent all throughout this in first peter it's not an option for christians it's an expression see if you know god you will do good works. That's The question is not whether you will do them or not. It's where you'll do them, in the context that you'll do them, how you will do them, but not if you will do them. And he says, let me tell you, there are religious people who say the same things, say they believe the same things, but their behavior and the way they live their lives and their works, it denies it. So we are... As he says at the end, did you see what he says? Be devoted to it. You know what the Greek word means? Maintain it. Keep it up. Don't grow slack in it. Because those are expressions that you have been graced, that you know what justification is in your life. So the contrast is not between you and non-religious people only, but religious people, people who say they know God, But they don't share in the lifestyle that good works demonstrates. If you look at all of the ways that, our our next little part here, if you look at all of our ways of how you culturally practice good works, what you'll find is, is that elders did it in the context of being pastors. Women did it in the context of being in their homes. Slaves did it in relationship to their masters. And like 1 Peter, Titus is the same in this way. That the key word, the signature verb of Paul and Titus is submission. And it's crazy because in Crete, nobody thought they should submit. right? They didn't want to. They did their own thing. That's why they were immoral. They weren't going to follow any dictates of morality or virtue or what was quote-unquote right or wrong. They didn't follow religious morals or any of those things. And what Paul tells them over and over again is wives, that you should learn to be submissive. Slaves, you should be submissive to your master. Why? Look at verse 10 again. Showing all good faith so that in everything. You see it? Everything. Verse 9 starts out with the same and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Put to shame, verse 8, having nothing to do with um, evil to say about us, but bond servants be submissive to their masters in everything. Verse 9, in everything. Verse 10, in everything. Everything. Do you see what he's trying to say? It's comprehensive. It's comprehensive. Do you know obeying your master would be almost completely like that? Would be unheard of everybody wanted to get away from their masters they didn't want to show respect and love they did what they had to do but to show respect to actually care about your master it made people stand out it was attractive you know why nobody else was doing it let me ask you tonight tell me if you can their name and maybe even a little bit about them if you want to briefly who was someone in your life that was attractive and I don't mean physically, I mean spiritually. Was there someone crucial or influential in your salvation or your early maturity as a Christian that you said, wow, you look at them and you say, look at their lives. Look at them and how they lived. And it immediately you wanted to have something that they were living out. Tell me, if you can, maybe their name in one sentence about them. Anybody? Who was attractive to you in the Gospels? Priya. Your aunt? Yeah. Very humble and very godly. Servant-like, I take it? Yep. Yeah. Yes. My Gabrielle. My mom rose. Your mom rose. What about her? She lived her life as the, uh, to meet the 31 Proverbs woman. Okay, Proverbs 31 woman. Excellent influential in helping you to want to live your life for the Lord. Someone else, who was it that was attract, attracted you to Jesus? Yes. My best friend, Marcel Jocks, he was one of the men, the key man that was responsible for bringing me to the Lord. When I met him for the first time, he was, uh, he, he I've noticed for the first time, even as an unbeliever, he was so committed to sharing the truth of the gospel. And it didn't matter if you were, um, if you were, uh, antagonistic toward him. He would be faithfully committed to sharing the gospel no matter what. That's what got me. I was antagonistic toward him and he just kept on sharing. Amen. Tim. For my parents, my dad was honest to uh, very exact in detail on his own personal uh, effort. He was, he was a person who even his so-called enemies would be at peace with him. And My mother Shared the gospel. She had this, uh, in a way, of just sharing. She just shared Jesus. Mm. Um, in you, you know, in season, out season, at the mall, where in the in the car dealership, didn't matter where, grocery mm. store, everywhere. Amen, amen. Kathy. Amen. Mm. Attractive. Even in pain, she's concerned about their souls. Excellent. Jane? A good friend of mine, Daryl Silvestro, I was here in church as an unbeliever, and she was in the choir, and I just saw the beauty of the gospel on her through her joy and peace, and I said, I want what she has. Amen. Mm. I want what she has. Excellent. Excellent. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 6. Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself, make yourself, present yourself as, that's what the word is, in all respects, wow, that's heavy, isn't it? And everything about your life, to be a model of good works. It's the word type we get from, back in first century, when you wanted to have an exact representation, you would take a stamp and you would hit it really hard into the that exact image would go on the paper. but It was called a blow. They would just, you'd have to smack it real quick. And the, what the original was on, the stamp you were using, now the image or the pattern of it would be on the paper. Right? It's the same way people authenticated royalty, people who were rich. If they wanted to make sure that it, you knew it was them sending you something, they would have wax and they would take their ring and they would seal it and they would push it down and hold it because with that, whatever was on the ring to signify it was you officially, with that imprint would be on there and it couldn't be duplicated because it was an exact representation of the original. That's this word. It's live a life a pattern, a model. See, look, look, adorn the gospel, be attractive. Isn't this kind of cool? Listen, every one of us in here are models. Every one of us, right? Not the models the world has to offer, right? But we're all models, we're examples. Because see, Jesus is the original, and here's what he's saying. You be the exact image of him in everything in your life. Let people see you. You ever heard the song, I can't remember the group that sings it, Um, let him, let them see you and me. It's a great song. You ought to listen to it sometime. Um, But it's about Jesus, them seeing Jesus in the way that you live your lives. Now, I'm going to let you pick tonight. Pick your realm of society or one that you might be familiar with. What do you think would be today? Because in here it says, live a model or pattern of good works so that when they want to say something evil about you you remember this good works they want to say evil they won't be able to say it and have nothing that they say that can condemn you in other words they won't have any bad things to say about you because you're so full of good works right what would be something today you can name it i work at the hospital i'm a I, i go to the university um in my neighborhood on my job where, what, what is it that would make someone's life today, because they're not like the people around them in Crete, they're different, and they're doing something good, what would be an example of something that would someone say, wow, that probably, if you did that and you live that way, that's so different, I'm guessing that would be pretty attractive to people to learn and want to know more about the gospel. What would it be? Pick any area of life that you want, whether it's your area or not. What would it take? What would you think would be different? I'm going to ask someone, I'm going to embarrass John Butler in a minute. But if no one else, I'm, I'm getting older, John. At your party for your retirement, there were some things that you were different about that was not like everybody else. Without self patting yourself on the back, what were some of the things that your job that made people attracted? because you weren't like them, or you did something different or good? Well, first of all, I was in sales. and People right there have a condition set when you say you're in sales. So I think the first one to the customers was honesty and making them feel good that enough to have one of my colleagues say, I want what you have. Mm-hmm. And that just emboldened me, you know, to just, it uh, was encouragement, you know, just to say, okay, you're doing things right. Amen. Amen. I got to listen to that, and go like this, John, with your ears. Okay. No, lost people at that party were saying things that normally Christians would have said about somebody, so I thought about that. And it, it definitely can be done can be done attractive by doing good things, different things that nobody else would do. What else? What are where else in life? What other part of life that you might be in? I'm thinking of I don't know if he wants to share teenagers at their high school or at their schools, or what else would it be? If you go to the gym, how would it be different if you're working out? Or someone someone else help me here. Say it again. Medical field in the hospital, as a therapist, nurse, etc., to see how somebody would treat somebody with compassion. Okay. Have the, life, the love of Christ in them, and reach out to somebody like nobody else would. Be sensitive to their needs. Okay, good. In the medical field, excellent. Yeah, you'd reach out. You'd be compassionate, sensitive. You wouldn't be just doing the job. You'd go the extra mile, and how you care about people, and not. Handle them roughly when you're doing tests or procedures or whatever. I've heard many people say, woo, that was rough. So you make a big difference if you try to make it nicer for people, right? That might open up doors, who knows, right? Someone else. Any other ones? Yes, go ahead. I would say just being a parent doesn't allow their children to just do anything they want. Okay. The way that you parent. That you don't just let your kid act any way they want, talk how they want, be disrespectful, and on and on. That you're different how you raise your children. That is definitely true. Yeah, that your son was really good. My parents never got that. Amen. One more. If there is one, that's okay if there's not, though. <laughs> Anyone else? Go ahead. Uh, work life? Uh, I just started a job. And, uh, and in the last two days, people are afraid to even mention God. And uh, I don't know if she's only praying. She, my new boss took me out to eat. Next thing I know today, she's talking about... And um, God willing, and, and you know, people are afraid to be able to speak it, because they don't know how people are going to be at: and so, it felt nice. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Don't, yeah, not being afraid to speak of God when that subject comes up, when you're with lost people, maybe in particularly at work, right? Amen. The Bible goes on to say, not pilfering, now, I looked up, last thing. I looked up on the internet. You can search. It's a really cool books, actually. Um, what first century. Have you ever wondered, like, did they have public restrooms that you went to? Or what w- did they have when you walked down the street? Was there fast food that you could pick up? You know, how much like our life was their life? And you'd be surprised uh, how similar it was. And one of them was, because I'm looking up a dormant in cosmetics. Um, they had a first century. They dug it up and it was awesome condition. It was a cosmetic case. And it was gold on little legs, and you opened up the lid of it, and it has I don't know if it would have been back then velvet, but it was indentations of where you set, set the little bottles of stuff, and it had an eye, a little dropper, th- or a thing you dab stuff on, you would have put your makeup on as a woman. And I even looked it up. They had, in Roman society, in large towns, 144 different paints, creams, or perfumes. 144. I said, like, it hasn't changed much. All right. Alta. They had Alta in Rome, I think, back then. But they had the cosmetic. And, and then look at our verse. It says, you be models, models of it. And then he says, the things that you should have. If you open up your cosmetic case of your Christian adornment and beauty, right? Here's what he says Open it up because here's what it has in it showing integrity and dignity, verse 7. Sound speech, that nobody could put you to shame. Submissiveness. See what he's saying? If you want to look beautiful for the gospel, put on this makeup. See, put on this on your life. See, let your life have integrity. Not holes, that you do one thing and do another, but integrity and dignity. You act refined. You act like God is in control of everything in your life. And he says you act with moral virtue and holiness. And see... Here's what, see, he doesn't leave you guessing. This is the makeup you put on. This is the stuff that makes you look beautiful. So in your Christian cosmetic case, you open it up, and these are the traits, right? So let me ask you one more time. Are you attractive? Have you got out your Christian cosmetic case lately? When you see, look at it this way. When I get up in the morning have devotions, you know, I'm, I'm putting on the makeup. Now, not watch, not Photoshop stuff. This isn't, you know you know, looking good when you're not really good and they just doctor up the picture. These are not some mystical beauty secrets. No, this is the gospel beauty. This is making your life beautiful. Every morning I get with God and read his word, you know, and I say, God, make me beautiful. Let me live a beautiful life that people see you in. Let me adorn the gospel. Let me put on these traits, this cosmetic stuff, spiritually, so that other people will be attracted to you by the way I live. Let's live that way, right? Let's do that this week, the rest of this week, the rest of our lives. Let's live beautiful lives for his glory, amen? Father, thank you. Thank you for this text. We want to do good. We want to do good works as a lifestyle. Oh, Lord, help us to go home and tomorrow morning get up And get out our cosmetic case and open it up and read the word and study it and pray that you can, through the Spirit of God, mold and shape our lives. Make us more beautiful because we're more like you, Jesus. May you stamp your image, as the song says, deep on our hearts that we might reflect your glory to a world like Crete, that they might see you in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.